welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I'm David Bax. And thank you for listening. David. Yes. How you doing? I'm well rested. Ugh, good for I, you. I needed it. Yeah. Yesterday, um, April 23rd, yeah. 2016, uh, we recorded another commentary marathon. Yeah. We did all four of the... How how are we referring to these? The I Burton say Schumacher, the Burton Schumacher, eighty nine, uh, ninety seven, eighty nine to ninety seven Batman movies, uh, Batman, Batman Returns, Batman Forever, and Batman and Robin. That's right. Um, back to back to back, uh, and it was it was a lot of fun. We had a lot of uh, our our favorite um, guests stopping by, making jokes. Yeah, um, and, and uh, occasionally saying something kind of insightful, I guess. Occasionally, uh-huh. yeah, we yeah we definitely started down that path, yeah, and then unsurprisingly, yeah, someone showed up and derailed us. Someone showed up, yeah, well, and then soon, but it's so you get the best of both worlds. You'll get yeah. some great talk about uh, Prince and Danny Elfman and their music sure. for the German expressionism, the one, German expressionism, but you also get some talk about uh, would Batman refer to his shoulder as his bat shoulder, <laughs> that sort of thing, exactly. Um, it's it's a it's a lot of fun we had a lot of fun doing it but it was at the end of the day we were drained yeah i don't know what it is about this one i mean they're the ones in the past i've been like invigorated by the end and this one for whatever reason uh don't be wrong i i think we keep the energy up pretty well all throughout but for whatever reason like the minute we were done i was like okay i need a break for maybe i don't know like eight or nine days <laughs> um but uh but yeah i'm i'm uh the audio came out sounding really good. I'm happy about that. Fantastic. We used the new soundboard, which is great. A uh, lot of good guests, a lot of good talk. So, um, yeah, the, you can go to battleshippretension.com. There's an ad for the commentary at the very top of the page. Just click on that. It's $3 for each individual commentary or $10 for all four of them. Which is how you want to do it. Which is how you want to do it. And frankly, how we prefer it because that's yeah. more money. You s- well, but you save money in the end. Yeah, you save two bucks. Uh, and also you get to hear the you know jokes develop. You get to hear callbacks that's true. Uh, as the thing goes on. It's, it's a, it, these are always a, a ton of fun. Um, yeah. Do you know what the next one is going to be? Like you've sort of been planning these. Do you have any ideas for the I, next one? I don't. I've okay. been focusing on this one for so long that uh, the next one will probably probably be like four or five months from now so okay. we've got some time to think about it all right um i thought like i was gonna say, gonna say something else about it uh but it was it was a lot of fun um and yeah we would appreciate you because like we talked about before we used to do these donation drives where right. we have our guests who have books and albums and movies and stuff they donate stuff to us you donate to us your name would go into a hat and yeah. three people would get prize packages yeah and we that's how we you know keep the show running yeah but that seems like very, only, pa- very only, passe and only three people actually get something out of right. it right here this is a way of funding the show keeping the show running mm. and literally everybody who quote unquote donates or buys in this case yeah uh, get something this for is it. all about goods and services david yeah you get over 8 hours of entertainment uh, right. for 10 bucks uh, it's, it's the, it's the way it's the, it's the way to support the show that doesn't feel like you're just doing charity work. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. And that's the thing is, you know, yes. So we're about to, you know, read, uh, ads from our, our sponsors. So yes, we do get money from our sponsors as well, but I do like the idea of offering premium products just because it's something that it's a way for you specifically to support the show, but also, uh, it's, it's just more stuff for you and it's stuff that's a little bit outside of 
the normal format of the show, you know, because we've done bonus episodes and those are fun, but they're still ultimately just episodes. This is something a little bit different and something not necessarily more fun, but just something notably different that I enjoy doing. Um, I don't know who first got the, whose idea it was. I think it was mine to do this marathon thing, to do it all in one day. Um, I think that's, I think it was was definitely my idea. Well, no. You wanted to do a marathon podcast. Yes. The idea of it being a commentary was right. Yes. So put these two things together. Okay. The issue here is the concept of marathon, which was a bad, bad (laughs) call on my part, except it isn't like it winds up being a really fun day for you and me. Uh, but by the end it is, it yeah. is uh, tiring, but it's, but yeah, so that is available at battleship pretension.com. Yes. Uh, and we're, we're going to go ahead and, uh, so that's how you can give us money. Some people have already given us money. Let me tell you who they were. Well, <laughs> let's put a pin in that. Cause okay. it's something I saw. I wanted to bring, I wanted to bring up a pre pre-show oh, topic. Right. right. Yes. Okay. This is essentially what I'm doing here is testing the waters to see, is this topic a show someday? Okay. Answer is uh, probably yes. Because you and I were talking, and I feel like we had a guest, and I can't remember what we were talking about uh, specifically. We were talking about the idea of um, uh, a, a a trope that is, to use internet terms, problematic. Sure. And basically the idea that in individual cases, in more, maybe even more than half of them, you can make a case for well, this actually serves the story to use the trope that way sure. or this, you know, this movie is still a great movie or whatever. Um, but the question is at what point does a trope become something that a screenwriter should avoid even if, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because it's a trope. Cause I was thinking about this just popped up in my head the other day because uh, I was reading an interview with, um, I think her name is Karen Kusama who directed the invitation, the new, uh, the new horror movie. Oh um, yes. Okay. And she did uh, Jennifer's body and she's done some other, other stuff. And she was talking about, she noticed as a, as a director, she gets sent scripts a lot. And she was talking about noticing how often in the screen, in, in screenplays, female characters die in the first act as a sort of motivation for the protagonist. You know how often mm, like yeah. a mother or a wife or a girlfriend or a daughter or someone is killed yeah. and that's the motivation, you know? Uh, and that it, it, it happens a lot. Uh, yeah. she was saying in these screenplays, she's read it. And then I started watching AMC's new miniseries, the, the night manager, uh, which in which the sort of inciting yeah. act halfway through the first episode is the murder of a woman. And that's what, yeah. uh, haunts, um, Tom Hiddleston's character. I mean, but I, I was like, I still really was into the night manager and it, it didn't make me think less of it. Right. But I just wonder at what point does a trope become so commonplace um, or does it does it raise enough eyebrows that yeah. it would be, would be wiser to avoid it, even if you can make a case that it would serve your story? Like at what point? Okay, I see what you're saying. So let's go with this one specifically. Um, the idea of a young woman, like at the beginning of Jaws, it is somehow more effective for a a young woman to be horribly murdered, and here you know you hear this shrill, high pitched screaming. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, as opposed to like yelling, like a guy yelling, like it's horrible either way, but somehow it seems more just culturally. Cause we view as, you know, like women are the weaker sex. They need to be protected. Right. And now so they're, and it's the exact opposite. Yeah. Um, so it has an emotional resonance. Like, Oh my gosh, we got to stop this thing, whatever it is, shark killer, whatever. Um, and so, but once it happens so often, perhaps it stops lose. It stops being used because, it has that resonance and it starts being used because, well, that's just what we do. 
Right. But what I, I guess what I'm saying, though, is if a screenwriter does find resonance in in his or her particular mm. case, yeah. is it still wiser to avoid that trope because it because people won't be able to disconnect from the trope as it exists in lazier cases? You I, know would, what I, mean? I would say that if it is a trope that the writer is aware of as a trope, this is a thing I've seen a million times. It's like, well, it resonates with me. Okay. First I'd say, figure out why it resonates with you. Perhaps it resonates with you because it's so damn common. Um, and you, and you see it. And while it might've gotten old for other people, it hasn't gotten old for you. Good for you. But, uh, unless you can find a way, unless you can write it in a way or direct it in a way where it, it renews, the feelings in in viewers that it had when it first started unless you can do that i would say it's best to simply avoid it you know even if it's even if it springs from something organic inside of you i don't like the it's not about pandering to viewers it's about trying to find what has the most emotional resonance and if something simply doesn't have that anymore it doesn't really matter if it does for you, unless, unless you have the ability to put them in your mindset and some, and some directors can, there are plenty of movies that do a very standard, tell a very standard story, but do it in a way that mm-hmm. it's like, I, I feel like this is new to me. I yeah. feel like it's fresh. Yeah. Um, in a, in a much lower stakes way, I often find myself in talking about movies or writing about movies, avoiding certain phrases because even though I think that might be the right way to get across, like yeah. those words mean what I'm trying to say. Yeah. But it's they're they're cliches or they're overused to the point where um, it might be more distracting or eye rolling for me to use them than to not. Yeah. Um, I often has have this problem um, with the phrase cultural osmosis because Ooh, it's I such like a cli- well it's such a cliche at this point like it's used so widely that I try to avoid it but it's yeah. also I can't think of another term that it's better, you well, know? <laughs> and after a certain like, point, that's not even a turn of phrase. That's like the official term. Oh, right, right. So I feel like it's a, that one's an okay one to use. Me, I will, I have to struggle. I mean, I've put it in like several reviews to, I like to end my reviews with saying, I'm just saying, you know, but I feel like that's kind of a crutch at this point. I feel like it doesn't have the like resonance it. that it used to. <laughs> <laughs> I like when I can't think of a good transition from one paragraph to the next, I'll just start the next paragraph with anyway. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, well, who, who is, who is uh, keeping our lights on? Here? Indeed. Okay. So, uh, once again, and this is their, this is their last week of sponsorship. This episode is brought to you by an eye for beauty directed by, uh, Denis Arcant. Denise, I don't know. I'm saying Denis Arcant. Arcant, yes. Uh, that's what I'm saying. The Academy Award winning director of the Barbarian Invasions and Jesus of Montreal. Now I'm going to describe the uh, plot in a moment, but I will say that, uh, you know, when we have these sponsorships that are, that are movies, I actually try to stay away from knowing too much about them. You know, okay. they give me a summary and that's fine. But I did take the liberty of watching the trailer today because it's the last week and I thought, what the hell? Uh, this movie looks really good. It's, it looks not did, only... Did we see the Barbarian Invasions together in no, Chicago? No, I saw it with uh, oh, okay. Jason in Chicago when he was visiting. I have a very specific memory of that in okay. uh, Evanston. Oh, yeah. I did not see it there uh, in Evanston. But I did see it in Chicago. And yeah. I would say the Bar- Barbarian Invasions is a movie that what's it's over a decade old yes close to 15 years old i still think about it once every few months that's interesting 
I remember liking the movie. It hasn't, it hasn't like stayed with me that much, but I, I really liked it at the time. And I think there's no reason I wouldn't like it now. It's not like I have moved away from that kind of movie. It, it, it really, that movie really worked for me. And this film reminds me, I'm not saying it is this, but it reminds me of Unfaithful. Mm. In its tone, like it looks very. There's a weird. I, this isn't a, 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 a word that I use very often. The movie looks super sexy, um, and just very sexually charged, but like with a lot of emotional suspense. And it's just I don't know. It's very. It's just very exciting, and so I, like I'm okay with things being described as sexy as long as you're actually talking about things that are sexy. Um, as a guy who watches a lot of Food Network, when people describe their food as sexy, it's gross. It grosses me out. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. <laughs> uh, so, okay. But yeah, so I'd say seek out the trailer, give that a watch, and if the movie looks good to you, and it looks good to me, and I'm very happy that I happen to live in one of the cities it's playing in. Um, so, but I'll, I'll describe this, uh, this plot to you. Uh, An Eye for Beauty follows Luke, an as- a young aspiring architect with a budding reputation. Together with his wife, Stephanie, the couple lives a seemingly perfect life in the beautiful Quebec countryside. When Luke travels to Toronto on a business trip, he meets and falls for Lindsay, a mysterious woman whose quiet yet captivating beauty threatens to turn his life upside down. A visually stunning drama complete with Arkan's uh, signature razor-sharp wit and social commentary, an eye for beauty gazes into the perils of modern domestic life. The film is as intelligent and wry as only the best of Arkan's films can be, offering a series of contemplations uh, on man's long-standing battle over love, sex, and marriage. An Eye for Beauty can be seen in New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago, as well as the Mall of America Theater in Minnesota and the Lake Worth Playhouse in Florida. Go to aneyeforbeautyfilm.com or click on the link at battleshippretension.com for not necessarily showtimes, but the the specific theaters uh, and trailer information and uh, that sort of thing. So uh, once again, An Eye for Beauty, it looks really good to me. I'm actually very excited to see it, especially now that uh, their sponsorship is over. but uh, so this episode is also brought to you by Mubi, a curated online cinema that brings its members a handpicked selection of the best independent, international, and classic films. Every day, Mubi's curators introduce a new title, and you have thirty days to watch it. That means there's always thirty wonderful films to enjoy, all for only four ninety nine a month. Plus, when you use their mobile apps, you can download films to watch offline. Currently showing is Wayne Wang's Smoke, a film that I love, I know and, I, and I've loved it for a very long time. Uh, it has, it features William Hurt, Harvey Keitel, uh, and among others, Forrest Whitaker, who, uh, when the time came and I was working at Blockbuster in Studio City, Forrest Whitaker would come in from time to time and I, I'd never seen him. And then like a week before I was going to leave the job forever, he came in and I was like, well, I don't have another chance to say this. And I figured like, okay, what are the things he, he's complimented on regularly? He had just won his Oscar. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought like, well, I do genuinely love him in Smoke, and I'm sure he doesn't get that, uh, you know, I don't think he gets that uh, talked about very often. So I did go out of my way and say, like, by the way, your performance in Smoke is, you know, one of the best I've ever seen. I really think you're doing great work in that. And, you know, he's he's a super quiet guy. He's like, oh, hey, th-. but he was wearing sunglasses, so he's still intimidating. Um, <laughs> he's like, he goes, oh, hey, thanks, man. That's really nice of you. You know, and I was just like, do you think somebody's listening? Like, so, um, but, uh, but yeah, so smoke, I highly recommend it. It also is entirely possible that aside from watching Bram Stoker's Dracula at way too young an age, uh, (laughs) this, that film might've been my, my first, uh, exposure 
to Tom Waits. In this case, because uh, mm. the song Innocent When You Dream plays into the, the ending of the film quite sure, well, yeah. and I think is used very well. So that uh, so Smoke is playing as is Blue in the Face, which I've actually never seen. Nor have I, actually. Um, and I've heard it's, it's a very odd little experiment of a film where while Wayne Wayne... Wayne Wang, pardon me, was making smoke. Afterwards, everyone's like, ah, we're done with the movie, but we don't want to be done. So they made this movie blue in the face, which I've heard is kind of strange at times and sometimes messy, but also kind of just like the sort of the joie de vivre is, is uh-huh. there. So, uh, so yeah, both of those movies are available at movie right now. And I'm very excited about that. I bet there was one person in the cast or crew who was like, glad to be done with smoke sure. but then like went a lot like i guess everybody else is doing it. yeah i don't want to be the killjoy it, here it reminds me of the time I, w- I played little league okay and so little league for the parents is often i mean not for everyone maybe some parents hate it but for the parents it's like it's a social event they're going sure. to a game they're hanging out with their friends the yeah. other parents right while we while we play they're you so, know seeing who they're going to have affairs with i know exactly. how i know how movies work sure <laughs> um so we go to our little league game the other team isn't there. They didn't show up. They forfeit. In my head, I'm like, yippee. I get to go home. I get to watch Who's Harry Crumb for the dozenth time or play some RC Pro-Am or whatever. Uh, all the things I did in my, in my yeah. summers uh, as a youth. The uh, stuff that, that uh, baseball interrupted, undoubtedly. Uh, yeah, 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 exactly. But the parents and coaches are like, what? Well, we thought we were going to hang out for two hours and uh, you know drink beers and eat pretzels and talk to each other. How about you guys have a scrimmage? I'm like, motherfucker. Like, <laughs> if you can't tell, I'm still mad about it to oh, this no day. Question. I'm still bitter about that. It's like, uh, hey, everybody, this was a huge reprieve. Yeah. Meanwhile, all the all the moms are da- and dads are like, it's a, it's a socially acceptable event in which I can just drink and drink and drink <laughs> and forget that I have these dumb kids on the Awful field. kids. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's... Uh, <laughs> that would be, that would infuriate me. There's no question about it. I remember one time uh, I was doing a, a play in um, at my at my church in Chicago, and there was one day that it was like a Thursday night, and so it's like all right Thursday it's not Thursday night it's not going to be super well attended, um, and there was a uh, like five minutes before the play was going to start, like there was like very, there was like maybe three people in the audience. Uh-huh. And part of me is like, are we going to cancel? Cause that'd be great. I really don't feel, and I like acting. And did you, have you never heard the, uh, Maxim, the show must go on. I've heard that red Fox story where, uh, he comes where, uh, they told it on never not funny. It's like this legendary story, um, where it's in Vegas and like this little nightclub and, you hear, and the, the announcer comes on. It's like, ladies and gentlemen, Red Fox. And then the Sanford and Son theme starts. <laughs> and then he walks out and he sees that there's only like seven people in the audience. He's like, uh-huh. I'm playing no fucking show for no seven fucking honkies and leaves. <laughs> and, the they, Sanford and, and they play and then goes, and then the guy goes, ladies and gentlemen, Red Fox. <laughs> and that was it. That was his whole show. <laughs> so that's what I wanted it to, to be. So I had the Sanford and Son uh-huh. all, uh, theme all, all, uh, queued up. Queued sure, up. Sure. Um, but yeah, so, uh, but we, but then like in the last five minutes, like 30 more people showed up. So it's like, ah, I guess we got to do this play now. Um, have we finished the movie ad? No, we have not. <laughs> uh, cause we were talking about smoke. Okay. Um, all right. So 
movie. We don't know. We, I, I already talked about what it was. But here's the thing. There's also a special offer, as though as though this weren't fun enough, as obviously it is, because we got distracted. Uh-huh. Um, there's a special offer for listeners of Battleship Pretension. You can try Mubi free for a month. Just go to Mubi.com, that's M-U-B-I dot com slash Battleship to redeem now. And there we go. And you can also, um, speaking of offer codes, mm-hmm. we got offer codes for days. Oh my gosh. If you go over to tweakedaudio.com, which is your home for professional quality earbuds in a variety of stylish styles and colorful colors, you can get their awesome and uh, already at a low, low price earbuds yeah. for one third off and no shipping charges if you use the offer code pretension at checkout. Mm-hmm. So you go to tweakedaudio.com and use the offer code pretension. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Let's get into it, shall we? Indeed. By which I mean, explain today's topic. Okay. First off, special thank you to Fred Melamed for being on the show last week. That, that was, was a blast. lot of fun. Yeah. Um, so, uh, okay. I don't, I, w- I usually remember what sparks topic ideas for me. Uh-huh. And I couldn't remember, I was trying today, uh, my brain could be a little bit fried from yesterday, but, um, but I couldn't remember what brought this on. But uh, Jen and I were at Disneyland this last Tuesday, and uh, something there uh-huh. at Disneyland like brought on, not merely brought this topic into my head, but, but like brought it screaming into my head. And I do not remember what it is. And I remember, and I texted you immediately yeah. and we went back and forth and we decided on the, uh, on the topic. Um, and perhaps, you know, sometime the next few weeks I'll remember and then I'll tell you guys about it and be like, I don't recall what you're talking about. Um, so I was thinking about f- the only way I can think of to put it is phases, um, which is to say phases in my movie watching, right? both in patterns and philosophies. Where, you know, at this point, I'm, you know, I'm 34. I think, I think Jen and I might have been talking about uh, my going back to school. Mm-hmm. And that I will definitely, just in, in the way that I am going to be taught to think about movies, which is a little bit more academically, um, which, and there is a difference between academic thinking and uh, crit- this type of critical thinking that you and I do. Um, and so... And that is actually sometimes a concern to me because I don't want to necessarily come on here and speak too academically because that is exactly why we started the show, or at least why I wanted to start the show is because other people were doing that and it was boring me. Um, (laughs) So, uh, but it did, I did realize like I'm, I'm entering not merely a new phase of my life, Mm -hmm. but I might be entering a new phase of my, of my movie watching and my movie thinking. And so I think it caused me to look back on the different phases uh, in my life. And, you know, a lot of them overlap. And because once you probably you're, you know, probably 13, 14, 15, for whatever reason, either you see a movie that sparks something or you're just 
unhappy with the movies that are marketed to you, which is what happened to me. Um, and uh, you just decide to uh, look into other movies, movies that people in your age group aren't necessarily interested in. And then the floodgates open. But over the course of your life, not your tastes don't merely change, but also your, your philosophies change. Mm-hmm. And then doing this show where we are required to think not necessarily more deeply, but be a little bit more um, uh, navel-gazing at times. Yeah. Um, I think uh, I think that also changes things. So, And I guess the nature of this episode is a little bit navel-gazing because a lot of it is, you know, it's easy to look back, as, as we have done before, and say, what was I thinking mm-hmm. liking this movie or not liking this movie? And so much of it can be put down to just where you are in your life. So I much want, of it. I wanted to go bigger and say, there. Not, like, what was I? What was I thinking when I liked this movie? Well, I was probably thinking what I was. What you know, same thing that I was thinking with uh, all the other movies that are exactly like it, and that I couldn't get enough of at this particular point in my life. So that's that's a very long introduction, but that's that's what we're talking about. And see, I think what I'll end up talking about is phases of. You mentioned how you think about movies. Yeah, because I have never been and intentionally so never been someone who gets a sort of scent of a tough movie and says, okay, I'm going to watch all of that. Right. Because, um, I do that with bands, uh, all the time. Yeah. Music. But, I do it more, more often, but with movies, I've intentionally tried to do that because I've always wanted to try and keep myself from being blinded to what else is going on. Yeah. So I try, I don't need to go too much because I could be an hour of just me talking to talk about how, um, about my compulsive behavior, about how I decide what movies to watch when. And mm-hmm. I have, you know, uh, essentially algorithms and systems and, yeah. and spreadsheets. Literally, this is all true. And, that, and in the time that I've known you, that these tendencies have gone from being uh, kind of adorable to uh, deeply off-putting. It's <laughs> probably true. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, my it's, I went to therapy for three years and this was something that she couldn't even make a crack in. <laughs> You know what? Maybe it'll swing back to adorable, though. <laughs> Maybe. Um, but yeah, I am very structured about how I decide what movies I'm going to watch at what time. Um, and it's that's because I have this fear of missing out on something else. Um, but I, the way that I think about movies has changed quite a lot. Okay. Um, I think uh, in... In in high school, I was definitely uh, more into things um, or more because I was less sophisticated. I was more attracted to things that seemed uh, aesthetically shinier or slicker sure. or, you know, more. Um, uh, it just seemed like there uh, I can point at that and I can say I can look at that movie and know that it's different. Be it yes. like the the, the Coen brothers would have a. a um, a very uh, sharp sort of postmodern visual style, um, or be it David Lynch. You know, I loved, loved Lost Highway um, yeah. when I was a teenager. And I actually, I haven't revisited that one in a long time. If you ask me to l- rank all the David Lynch movies, there's, um, you know, there's not, there's almost not a bad one in the bunch. It's yeah. not entirely true, but there's almost not a bad one in the bunch. Uh, but Lost Highway would probably for me now rank on the lower half. Yeah. Um, yeah it, until you watch it again and then yeah, it might, I watch it it again. Might go it'll up probably again. like something else will bloom where yeah. uh it, i'll see it in an entirely different way which is which has happened plenty of times in my life yeah. where i've 
um, not watched a movie for a long time and then come back and realized, oh, this is, I love this movie maybe as much as I used to, but for different reasons now yeah. because I've changed. Uh, I'll try, hopefully I'll think of an example of that. Um, uh, man, yeah, I should think of an example of that. Oh, well. Um, so yeah, that, I think that, um, I think that sort of, uh, neon sign autourism yeah. is what attracted me as a less sophisticated budding cineast in my high school years, you know? Um, and then I think from there I went to college where, um, two things happened. I was living with you mm-hmm. and you had a good VHS collection of classic Hollywood cinema. Yeah. Something that I had been large, uh, other than a few big classics had been, um, had not really sought out. And also I was in film school with a lot of people who were into the stuff I was into in high school and me being a natural knee jerk contrarian. Yeah. Uh, I'd spent a lot of time in early film school, uh, brushing up on classic Hollywood because I was like, Hey, I have, I don't have any money and yet I have hundreds of VHS at my, <laughs> at my disposal because, uh, not disposal, but within my reach, uh, because I live with Tyler and B this isn't you the did stuff. dispose of a lot of them after you watch them. <laughs> you did, you know, they weren't disposable. Like, uh, I know that now. <laughs> Um, now VHS are essentially, <laughs> that's true. um, and so I, uh, I don't want to go through my whole life, but this is what I'm talking about, uh, is that, um, I, 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 I changed my approach in some ways while still being very strict, <laughs> strict in other sure. ways. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So many of my, uh, a good number of my phases here, um, can be boiled down to just a natural contrarianism, contrarianism that mm-hmm. I think you just hopefully outgrow or then you probably just develop a new one. You know, that's what I do. Uh, but what I did is as I was, as I was listing these phases, I also kind of approximated how long they lasted and what, and through what ages for me, um, give or take a year or maybe even two years here and there. Um, so as I'm going through them, I decided I want to go through, I wanted to go in the order of like how young I was at the time. So I have one that's, uh, age birth through age 24. Wow. Yeah. And that is musicals are terrible. (laughs) All right. That's that phase. Uh, now I'm trying to think of what came out when you were 24. Don't tell me. Okay. Let's see. You would have been, you would have turned 24 in 2005, six, six, um, once that That's, probably that didn't come out here in 2007. Actually, and it's, it's, it's a 2006 film by my weird rules, but it, I don't think right. it came here until 2007. I think, I, I think like, so it could have been 20, like 24, 25 for me, but at the same time, it wasn't merely what came out, Okay, but it was also just stuff that I was seeing on top of everything else. And also just. I, I think a lot of this can be put down to my philosophy of just being a bit more inclusive and in that like, you know, cause I think I had seen around that time. I think I saw sound of music for the first time. Mm. Um, Sweeney Todd came out in 2007, which is while not that great of a movie, the idea like to me, like the, con- like even on stage, like the concept of mu- of a musical was frustrating. Um, but I think I, I came to understand like there is something to be said for like, yeah, merely acting what's happening right now isn't quite enough to convey the emotion mm-hmm. or the tone of the world or whatever it is. Uh, I think I'd seen, ca- I think I, right around that time, maybe a couple years before I'd seen Cabaret, which is marvelous. Um, still 
possibly my favorite movie musical of all time. I, I do love singing, there. In the, singing in the Rain as well. I like West Side Story a lot. Um, I should watch that again. But, I like but Cabaret it. is up there. Um, and so, and then, yeah, then you got, but I'd seen like Hedwig, Hedwig and the Angry Inch, which I liked a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, I think Once and Sweeney Todd, which are two just such different types of musicals. And I think that's when I realized like, this is actually a surprisingly malleable genre. Yeah. And when you realize, when you come to realize, okay, like, well, one of these is a horror musical. The other is like this sort of cinema verite type musical, um, in a way. Uh, and that's when you realize like, I guess musical is a genre kind of, but think how different, yeah. you know, there's a romantic musical, there's a horror musical, there's a comedic musical, like there's a, there's a historical epic musical. Like, I don't know. It's it, it I think I just started thinking about it in a different way. Yeah. It can be, it can be anything. Yeah. Like it's sort of like, um, it's like comedy. Uh, yeah. Comedy, I was going to say it's like comic books, which we associate with superheroes, but sure. you can tell any kind of story yeah. in, in comic, uh, form. But yeah, I do remember that you didn't like Moulin Rouge as much as I did. I well, that was for a few reasons. And I, and I've come around on that one too, but I think we lived together when I bought the Moulin Rouge DVD, mm-hmm. double DVD set and spent probably a week and a half obsessing over that movie, watching like special features and watching the movie with different commentaries on yeah. and watching alternate like angles, I used to, I, now I don't even, I hardly even, unless I'm writing a review where I have to like look at the special yeah. features, I don't really think about what the special features are on movies. I've become yeah. kind of a purist. Like, no, I like the movie and I'm buying this Blu-ray because the presentation will be nice. Uh, I kind of don't give a shit about the yeah. interviews and the backstory and the making of and the commentaries. I, You know what? What's interesting for me, I'm much more willing to watch like a making of if it's like a 25-year retrospective. Mm-hmm. Like, people reflecting on it with some distance on it oh, that I will watch. Yeah, that does uh, sound interesting because then you get, cause in the moment, if it's like, if you see the person in costume on set talking about this thing, it's like, yeah, they're not going to be honest. Right. You know, yeah. cause this, this could be used in a, in like a, uh, EPK or something right. like that. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, I, I, I know what you mean. And that's in retrospect, I think back on Moulin Rouge, I have so much respect for that film. I'm, sh- I'm shocked it got made. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, yeah, that, it, that it, is an insane film. It breaks rules. I mean, it's uh, and not just musical rules. It's, yeah, it's it's so it's so manic for the first ten fifteen minutes that it's Boslerman like being essentially intentionally off putting. Yeah, he's letting people who like if you're not in for this, yeah, here then just go ahead and turn this off or leave the theater, which happened when I saw in the theater, there were yeah. walkouts. Uh, and minute, then minute 20, it turns into, you know, bicycle thieves, <laughs> right. uh, but they wanted to shake people loose. Um, and then after the first performance, you've got a single scene in inside that elephant in, in uh, Nicole yeah. Kidman's like dressing room. That's like what? 16, 17 minutes long. It's like one scene. I don't think I remembered it was that long, but yeah, uh, I might be exaggerating. Uh, <laughs> it's been a long time, but it is a, a very long scene in one yeah. room. Uh, after having done this incredibly manic, uh, jumping around, it's, uh, yeah, that, that is a movie that should not work yeah. and, and does because I think it works out of sheer commitment. Sure. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. Buzzlerman is so committed to making the movie his way that it doesn't matter that what he's doing is quote unquote wrong. He's barreling through those <laughs> barriers, uh, uh, with his devotion yeah. to telling his story his way. Yeah. I can't, uh, I can't fault him for it. So that I, pre- I think that is my oldest phase that I'm thankfully out of. And I, and I've been out of it for, you know, probably, you know, 10 years or so. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
a lot, probably a lot of my phases are, are genre related or whatever you want to call, whatever you want to call it, where it's just like, well, this is bad. And then you just realize, well, no, it's like, you know, I, I feel like you and Goble, uh, Goble especially say this all the time. Like people say like, oh yeah, the uh, multi-camera sitcom, like it's dead. Well, no, it's not dead. They just, there needs to be a good one. Yeah. Seinfeld was that, you yeah. know? Um, How I Met Your Mother, I would say, I know you disagree. I disagree. I that but was the yeah. last, probably the last really good one. And it's just, uh, yeah, and, you know, people say it about Westerns. It's like, ah, Westerns are dead. It's like, yeah, well, no, matter. they just, they make an amazing one every once in a while, and you realize, like, there's still power in that genre. Um, I guess I did just reference one of mine, which is that I hate Westerns, uh, <laughs> which is not the case anymore. Uh, let's oh, see. Oh, did you at one point hate Westerns? Uh, okay, so this, each phase I've given a name. Okay. Okay. Uh, musicals are terrible. Westerns are dumb. Uh, age 14 to 21. I didn't know that you had a Westerns are dumb yeah. phase. I just didn't. You know what? I think if I'm, if I'm being totally honest, I would say that at the time, the only kind of Western that I w- approved of was a revisionist Western. I was okay, okay with the wild bunch. I was okay with unforgiven. Like you give me, you show me the searchers. No, thank you. Shane. I'm out. Like the, honestly, the sincere earnest ones I had no patience for. And that idea sincerity and, and uh, earnestness that will be a theme in a lot and, and me wanting to avoid that and thinking that I have no use for it you know basically being like a jaded teenager and college student right um, yeah. that will be a common denominator in a lot of these phases see and I think I I already mentioned and I'm realizing this is a bigger part of how I watch movies than I'd like to admit but my contrarianism I'm like a double contrarian like, oh wow because what you're saying is like you're going against the norm but i always wanted to avoid being seen as just conforming to a new type of nonconformity. like sure um it's it's why i like all sorts of i there are certain like labels that people give like atheist or feminist or liberal or sure. things that i clearly am that i avoid referring to myself as because i am not i'm so so instinctively yeah uh not a joiner that i don't want to be seen as being a part of any group at all so i tend i tend to go uh, i i would often go like double back to yeah. where i would um try to find redeeming qualities in things that uh were dismissed by the cooler uh, film film crowd well and that's the instinct of that is good, but it comes from a, a wrong place. Yeah. Of you know? just wanting to be smarter than the smart kids. Yeah. Well, and that's, uh, you remember in, in college, the phrase that I used was hipper than hip, Yeah, which is, you know, to some people, a 14 year old liking Citizen Kane is kind of not necessarily hip, but it's just like, right. oh, that's unlike what other 14 year olds are like. And that was me. But then I went to college and then you actually had people that were going against like, yeah, citizen Kane's a little overrated. It's like, Oh, they're hipper than hip. I'm like, uh-huh. fuck you. I'm hipper than that. Yeah. I'm going, I'm <laughs> back to citizen Kane being amazing. Yeah. Um, uh, but I've, I find this ties into my next thing that I've realized up until, I mean, I've been writing movie reviews regularly now for more than five years for the website. Yeah. And that has changed a lot of how I've, uh, but I, I'm realizing that up until that point, even bleeding over into that point, a lot of my tastes were influenced by 
whom I was reading the most hmm. at that point. And I think um, that sort of, I that instinct to find the good in sort of mainstream Hollywood, uh, not necessarily big, dumb blockbuster stuff, yeah. but like stuff like, um, and now I'm forgetting, I'm blanking on the director's name, but you know, I was a big fan of, I mean, bought the DVD of that movie, Domestic Disturbance with John <laughs> yeah. Travolta yeah, and yeah. Vince Vaughn and Steve Buscemi in a small role. I still think that's a really tight it's, little thriller. It, tight uh, being the, the operative word. Yeah, it's if, like 85 if, that has, if that thing has an ounce of fat on it, I have yeah. no use for it. Yeah. Um, I still, I still like that movie. And I think my instinct of trying to seek out that kind of stuff was influenced a lot by reading Ray pride who mm. wrote and still writes for new city, uh, Chicago yeah. paper. Um, but at the same time in Chicago, I was also reading Jonathan Rosenbaum a ton, yeah. which I think got me to think of movies more politically than I ever had, uh, before. Mm. Um, and you know, very much like our topic two weeks ago, you know, thinking of, uh, what a movie has to say, um, or what it might be unintentionally saying, uh, about its makers, uh, political or social viewpoints. Um, and then I don't know, I, I, uh, I came here and to, to Los Angeles was reading LA weekly. And as I started reading Scott found us a lot, and then I started reading, um, Karina Longworth, still one of my favorite, yeah. um, contemporary film critics, even though, I mean, she's not like writing regular movie reviews like she was anymore right. for LA weekly. I know now, She's mostly known for her podcast, um, yeah. uh, which I don't know if you've listened to. It's right up your alley. You must remember this, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and I think that's uh, I, that's about the time that, uh, not necessarily that um, Karina Longworth is a formalist, but that's about the time that I started. Hmm. Uh, people who have listened to the podcast for a long time will know that about 2009, I sort of entered a new phase very publicly on the podcast mm. of trying to approach movies from a formalist and structuralist, uh, viewpoint. And now that has become, I feel like each of these phases that I'm talking about, they don't, they're, they're at the forefront for a while and then they generally don't go away. They just become a part of the fabric, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I still think, uh, that I, um, uh, approach movies with a, the eye of a formalist or structuralist, but that's just one of the, now it's, it's yeah. in there with the, with, with the, with the political or with the, um, uh, finding art in the mainstream popular entertainments. And like, that's all a part of who I am now. Um, and now I'm a critic. I feel weird saying that, but yeah. I am yeah. like, we make some money. So I'm a, yeah, we get paid to do this. I'm a semi-professional film critic. Yeah. Um, that's as far as I will go and tooting my own horn here. Um, but now things are different because I see so much stuff now yeah. that I had the luxury of avoiding uh, for years. Um, that it means that a, sometimes I can find stuff that I never would have seen that I end up loving. Yeah. Uh, and in other ways it makes me a lot harder on, on other stuff just because of the volume of movies, my yeah. bar is higher. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Cause if I, if I were as forgiving as I were, was back in college, I would like way too much stuff. <laughs> it would like hurt my credibility as a critic. I think it is odd because what you're talking about is I feel like as I get older, first off, I think it's always good to have an open mind to various philosophies and stuff like that. But I think as I get older, you know, you, you, you have enough, you get a, a, enough life experience that there are some things that's like, okay, this is a thing I know for sure. You know, for example, not to get too political, 
but seeing as how I'm about to enter back into the college world, mm-hmm. I'm interested to know what is happening on college campuses at the moment. I'm not about to talk about God's not dead. I'm talking about something even worse. Um, the idea of like free speech zones and the idea of people saying that like, this is a weird thing. Like college students, sorry, some college students, uh-huh. many of them living in California, it should be noted. Uh, when polls are taken, like what's your, what is your take on free speech? The concept of free speech. And they say it's like an instrument of oppression. It is a thing that the powerful will use. It's a term they'll use uh, to, to do, to say what they want to say and, and speak out against minorities and be oppressive and, and that kind of thing. Um, and I look at, and then they just say, it's like some people just need to be silent. Some people don't deserve to have, some people don't deserve to talk if that's, if these are the things they're going to say. I'm old enough. I've, I've seen that as well. Um, yeah. and it infuriates me. I'm old enough. I, you know, I'm 34. I'm not an old man, but I'm 34. And I, I look at these 22 year olds and you yeah, say kids, kids, and, and I, first off, I look back and I think like, were I that age at this time, at this moment, would I think that it's possible, but I'm old enough. that it's like, this is a terrible thing. Free speech. I'm going to get up on my high horse. If there were any right uh-huh. that I would fucking die for free speech is it. Yeah. Once you head down that path, it's a horrible path. I recently rewatched Man for All Seasons. Sorry, everybody. This is weird. I guess I mean, I'm kind of in a free speech phase, actually, one could say. Uh, maybe I'll grow out of it. Um, well, but you're going back to school with all these dumb kids. I, I know. Oh, good God. I can't imagine. I, I can't imagine. I'm going to have to keep my mouth shut for a lot of stuff. I don't mean because I'll get in trouble, but just because like, it'll save me a lot of hassle. But yeah. I, that's, that's a lot of stuff I'm going to have to swallow. But anyway. But maybe not. Maybe the master's program is better. But, um, but anyway... I was watching Man for All Seasons, and there's such a wonderful, a wonderful little section there where he's talking with his uh, his uh, prospective uh, son-in-law, who's like a very pious guy, and he's talking about like he hates the devil so much that he would do this, this, and this. And Thomas More is like, oh, so you would actually? It's like you would tear down law. You would tear down the law to get at the devil. He goes, yes, I would tear everyone down. He's like, okay, let's do that. Let's imagine you did that. You flattened every law, but then when the devil turns around on you, where are you going to hide? What are you going to hide behind now that you flatten the laws to get at him? And then you come to realize, oh shit, you can't stop him. Sorry. That last part is my paraphrase. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that to me is it like, yeah, sorry. People say a lot of horrible, hateful, disgusting shit that I, despise but if you take that away like who first off who decides Mm -hmm. because the day Mm -hmm. may come when you're not in the majority opinion and i just i hate this concept so much i don't remember how i got on this i'm so sorry um i don't remember where i came from but yeah you're right it is it is terrifying Uh, i don't want to say i don't know um did you listen or read that billy corgan interview recently that uh stirred up some people i know that he's been uh, he's been on a few things here and there. He was going off on social justice warriors, okay. um, which I do like half joking me refer to myself as, yeah. but, uh, he did it in a way that like it's, he's not going to end up getting through to anyone. Cause he was like way too inflammatory. Okay. But, uh, it's, uh, that's unfortunate because he was actually making really good points. Sure. Basically him saying, he was basically saying, 
I'm a liberal and I don't want these people representing me because yeah. they are not for open discussion of ideas and they are not for freedom of speech. Uh, and I really was disappointed that uh, everyone pounced down Billy Corgan's throat, uh, which I think is the fashionable thing to do because he is a lunatic in many ways. He's not, <laughs> I'm going to be generous and say he's an odd duck yeah. these days. Um, but, uh, I, I, I do wish people had uh, seen the substance of what he was saying. It's frustrating. It's something that happened. You know, I mean, when you're freaking conservative, like there are so many principles that I think most, I honestly think most people would agree with and maybe already do agree with, but it's communicated so terribly by modern conservative talkers, you know, mm-hmm. that it's just like, it's like, I get what you're saying, Rush Limbaugh, but your tone <laughs> is so wrong and 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 naturally off-putting and contentious and argumentative. It's just like even I don't know if I agree with you now, but I think I do. My problem with Rush Limbaugh, other than obviously I disagree with a lot of sure. says My problem is that I think he, um, I think he's disingenuous. I think he mm. sometimes talks down to the lowest of his audience, and I think he makes assumptions that he doesn't actually believe, but he knows that will. Uh, catch fire with certain parts of his audience. And that always bothers me. That is a big part of like, of liberal and conservative commentators is just like, it's like, well, I got to reach, you know, they, in their own way, they got to get them clicks, you know? (laughs) And, uh, it's, it's exhausting, but yeah, uh, I don't remember where this came from. I'm so sorry, everybody that I I got Don't be sorry. This is what we needed to be talking about Um, because, uh, I don't know. We're watching those of us who are liberal are, watching the GOP uh, catch fire and burn. And it's the, the, the reaction might be to sit back and watch it happen. But uh, um, look around you because liberalism is also on the ropes right now. I had a thought the other day, people have been saying liberals and conservative for a long time. have been saying like, if, if Ronald Reagan looked at the conser- at the Republican party today, he'd be mortified at how right it has gone. Why don't you look at some of the speeches Bill Clinton's been giving and how they've been received lately? Like, yeah. he's being interrupted. He's being shouted down. This was the face of liberalism, the modern face of liberalism, a president that everyone kind of liked, including me now. Like, it's just, and you get people like yelling at him, interrupting him. You know, you have his own wife being forced to move away from laws that he passed. Mm. Uh to, to so that she can appeal to you know Bernie Sanders supporters and I'm sure that you know and I'm I'm sure that you like Bernie Sanders there's something I actually kind of admire about Bernie Sanders but um, I do like Bernie Sanders but I'm, yeah. uh, I'm team Hillary okay I, I want which is and just the I'm, stuff like that, it's a it's a, a <laughs> disconnect in my household in my marriage right now oh uh, my my wife is feeling the burn it's and a real uh, it's real Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, Maria Shriver situation yeah I'm ha- I hashtag I'm, I'm with Hillary uh, <laughs> but um, yeah I don't know but yeah and so it's just I say best of both words, worlds I said on the podcast before Clinton Franken 2016 you get you get the uh, establishment centrist liberal in uh, you know in, in Clinton and you get the Bernie type yeah with Al Franken mixed Every, with everybody's happy with a lot of smugness <laughs> but you know what <laughs> I can listen to his smugness all day long because he always finds a way to make it acceptable to me. Yeah. Even when, if he's saying I'm an idiot, it's just like, yeah, but <laughs> oh, he's so damn clever. What what am I going to say? No. Yeah. Um, I think this came about, honestly, I think it came about because we were just talking about like looking back on our younger selves, looking back over our lives, seeing where we are now. And, you know, now, uh, 
this came about maybe because of like discussing like a natural contrarianism and stuff like that. I don't, I don't, I still don't remember exactly where it, where it started, but it's, it's actually, I actually was thinking of doing a whole episode about the importance of free speech. Um, just movies about free speech? No. <laughs> well, we should probably. It affects me. We should tie it into movies. This is a podcast. I'm not following. About you. movies. What are you talking about? Oh, we, I want. You to, and I haven't talked about movies for 10 minutes yeah, now. Yeah. I wanted to pivot to uh, a political podcast. Can we do that now? I think that'd be fun. <laughs> uh, I mean, somebody already said we're like Hannity and Combs. Um, I, he walked that back, by the way. Thanks, uh, guy. I don't remember your name. Um, but uh, anyway, okay. Sorry, everybody. That was. Uh, I'm not super sorry because I don't yeah, regret a single thing I said. I'm just that sorry, I went out of my way to say it. Um, so okay, um, a few more uh, phases that I wanted to talk about. Um, so I talked about birth. Uh, everything else, the earliest is age 14. Okay, unsurprisingly, um, one is uh, older films are inherently better than newer films. Which and that lasted fourteen to nineteen, um, and then it's just that like, I think the reason I thought that is because I was just I was catching up on movies made before I was born. I was seeing so damn many of them, but the ones you're seeing are the ones that made it. <laughs> you know what true. I mean? Yeah. Um, so I'm seeing all these amazing classic films from like the forties, fifties, and meanwhile I'm seeing like the handful of movies per year while I'm, you know, that are in the theaters. And I'm just like, oh, man. It's like, there's really only like six or seven great movies this year. Meanwhile, look at the hundreds of great movies. From, it's like, yeah, but those are only the few movies, few great movies from that specific year. Right. That have held over. So it's something I didn't realize. And that thankfully didn't last very long. That only lasted until I was about 19. Um, there's the uh, everything I'm told is great must be great phase, um, which was 14 to 18. And huh. so I have some movies here that uh, often showed up on like top hundred lists and stuff that I thought like, well, they must be great. Otherwise they wouldn't be on this list. Movies like the African queen, I which, like that movie. which even at the time I didn't like that much. Oh, I like it. There are things I like about it. Um, guess who's coming to dinner. Yeah. It's not a very good movie. Easy rider. Not a very good movie. Some like it hot, which I'm kind of alone on. I've never, I've never thought it was that great, but I just thought like, I'm the problem. I'm what's wrong. No, I, uh, I, I do like some like it hot. I think AFI putting it at the top of their like comedies is ridiculous because yeah. it doesn't as a comedy, it doesn't actually yeah. hold up all that well. It beats there's out a, strange love. Come on guys. There's a, yeah, there's a, there's a few good, there's a few really good lines. In sure. Some like it hot. And of course it's very well made, but, um, yeah, it's not, uh, it's not a great comedy. Uh, do you know, there was, here's some trivia. Okay. Um, there was a, I don't think it ever went to series, but there was going to be a sitcom version of some like it hot. Okay. That started, it actually had, um, uh, Jack lemon and, um, Tony uh, Curtis, T- Tony Curtis. I was going to say Tony Randall, Tony uh, Clifton, T- Tony Curtis, Jack lemon and Tony. And, uh, who is it? Tony Curtis, Tony Curtis in the very opening scene yeah. of the, like, they're walking down the street and they're like, Oh, this mobster is still after us. I know. Why don't we get plastic surgery? And so yeah. they go into and they come out and they're whatever actors are actually playing the role in the series. Yeah. Sure. was nice that surgeon to also change our voices yeah, as well. And then it's like never mentioned again. <laughs> that was the idea. Um, I've never seen it. I've just heard of it. Uh, that's kind of genius. I think. <laughs> yeah. In it's in a dumb way. Um, okay. So, uh, and then another movie that I assumed that I just figured was great because everyone said it was great was mash. I I don't respond well to mash right now. 
And I, I don't think uh, I ever have. See, I, I never, I think again, we're getting into my contrarianism. I think if I was told the movie was great, there might've been a part of me that was like, all right, prove it. <laughs> we are now uh, moving into my other face, <laughs> which is the prove it. Everything phase. is overrated. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm, I'm big on that. But then I, I mean, as long as, I do that as long as I'm not, as long as I'm still honest with myself, I'm okay with doing that. I'm okay with sitting down and saying, let's see if this movie sure. really is great. But no, that's as long a good as, instinct. As long as if it is, I admit it, you yes. know, like I don't want to be the guy who, I mean, and you know, maybe some people honestly don't react to Casablanca, which seems insane to me. Uh, but I don't want to be the guy who's like Casablanca. It's overrated. The very first movie in my great. everything is overrated phase Casablanca. <laughs> Um, which this phase lasted from 14 to 20. Uh-huh. Um, also gone with the wind and oh, that's an overrated movie. It is, but it's also an astounding achievement. Like mm-hmm. it is somehow overrated and rated per- and underrated at the same time. Um, but, uh, to kill a mockingbird. Oh, you're crazy. Yeah. Uh, at the time, the matrix I thought was overrated. I think that might be one of the best movies uh that's a 99 movie and i think that's one of the best action movies of all time one of the best sci-fi movies of all time i think it is a a groundbreaking film certainly as far as special effects Um, yeah uh i mean i you're talking to like died in the wool matrix the matrix fan um but i do understand that it has some some flaws uh dialogue has never been a strength for the wachowskis nope and I also think, although I never saw Bound, and apparently that's all dialogue. Uh, yeah, and it's uh, not great. Really? <laughs> yeah, hmm. um, I'd never really liked Bound. Um, but also, uh, one problem the Matrix has that I think people forget. I think when people think about the Matrix, I think the scenes that they think about are the ones that take place in the Matrix. I think the stuff on board the Nebuchadnezzar is kind of dull. And kind of sure. drags. You're just sort of marking time until you can get back into the matrix whenever, uh, whenever you're on on the ship. I think that's a bit of a problem. Yeah, in a way, it's just like, why would anybody leave this? It's like, <laughs> it's like, okay, so I think we all know what the ideal is. The ideal is you're in the matrix, but you know it, so you can do whatever you want. <laughs> right, that's yeah, the that's... key. That's the sweet spot of the matrix. <laughs> um, so those are those are my my young phases, and I feel like everybody can. I, maybe I'm being too general. Okay, so. Older's better than new. Everything I'm told is great is great. Oh wait, maybe it isn't. Maybe everything's overrated. Like uh-huh. I feel like that's something, and it's between fifty. It's between fourteen and twenty, all of them. And I feel like that is a pretty standard, based on just the people that I know and the movie lovers I know. That seems to be a very standard uh, progression there. Um, was that the case with you? Uh, any or all of them? I, I don't. I mean, I, I don't know that I ever. I, I think I've always. I don't know. Now I feel like I'm trying to pat myself myself on the back for being more fully formed earlier than I was, but I've always been a skeptic. And so I think that is always view when I look at classic films, you know, movies that are considered classics, not just anything over a certain age. Um, I have always viewed them with a skeptical eye. See, and I want everybody to like me. So I want to make sure I have the right opinions all the time. (laughs) Um, and that informed a lot of these, uh, Here's a phase that I'm not necessarily out of, but it has changed. It is the gangster crime noir phase, Uh which is to say, I looked back at my top hundred list from uh, 2001. Mm -hmm. The sheer number of noir crime and gangster films, 
it's like, okay, uh, how old am I in 2001? I'm 19. That's about right. Now, a lot of these are some of the best movies of all time, and they remain on my top 100 list. A lot of these are just, and some of them are movies that I liked at the time for all the, all the stupid bullshit reasons. And then you realize, oh, no, they're also, these are also great character movies or whatever it is. Um, right, yeah. You know, th- yeah um, thankfully, thank God, even in this phase, I never embraced Boondock Saints, ever. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's, yeah, uh, I remember I always, I'm such a fanboy for Tom Sharpling and the best show. Yeah. But Tom Sharpling was saying about Goodfellas, like, that he has to, like, remind himself, like, no, it's a good movie. Just because a lot of dummies like it for the wrong reason yeah. doesn't make it not a good movie. Yeah. 83 Scarface, however, I don't think has ever been that good good of a movie. Uh, I can appreciate it because it's a very committed performance by Al Pacino. Like, he does not wink at you like he is committed to being this vile, loathsome character. Um, So these are some of the... uh, Some of the... um, I I, I definitely have had... I I can't pinpoint exactly when it changed, changed, but yeah. yeah, I definitely went through that phase of liking stuff that was like harder edged yeah uh more i don't know if that's just a young male thing i I feel like it uh, probably is to react to but then i think again maybe my natural contrarianism pushed me toward romantic comedies like good romantic comedies Mm -hmm. earlier than i would have gotten there anyway i think i was probably early in college the first time i saw the philadelphia story one of the greatest movies of all time that's a great one uh probably the first time i saw when harry met sally uh which i also think is a fantastic movie um and i did start seeking those things out at that time i saw kate and leopold in the theater i saw sweet home alabama in the theater they're both neither one of those is very good kate and leopold is the best thing to say about it is that it's forgettable but (laughs) given it's like outlandish premise the fact that it's forgettable is kind of a mark against it yeah uh sweet home alabama is terrible yeah, I'm sure I've told... It's been a long time since I've told this story. Jen and I were dating, uh-huh. uh, and she was usually fine to say, like, like, oh, you're the movie guy, whatever you want to pick. And I was like, well, that's, you know... For a while, I was like, hey, awesome. Uh-huh. Uh, but then I thought, no, 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 that's not right. Let's, you know, you, you, we should... We'll, we'll switch off. And uh, so we went to a video store, um, and uh, we picked out, sorry, she picked out Sweet Home Alabama. And I was like, I like Reese Witherspoon. What the hell? Yeah. So we watched it. And at the end, Jen leaned over and she's like, you can pick from now on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah. I remember my, my favorite thing that is related to Sweet Home Alabama is that I worked at a video store that carried porn, both straight and gay porn. Okay. And uh, about the time Sweet Home Alabama was coming out, we also got... Sweet Ho, Alabama, and <laughs> Sweet Homo, Alabama. <laughs> hey, all right. Well, something for everybody yeah. there. <laughs> I have to assume both those movies are better than the actual film, right? Probably. <laughs> At least I there's mean, something to hold my interest. Yeah, in terms of, like, fulfilling their promise. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, sorry. Okay. Uh, Sending a text message there? Yeah, somebody, sorry, and it was an urgent one. Someone said, hey, my ride bailed. I need someone to pick me up from the airport, and I cannot because we Ah. are recording. Um, Okay, so, yeah, here's some of the movies that were in my top 100. Now, a lot of these are good movies, Um, and a good portion of them are are still in my top 100. Some of them still in my top 10. Usual Suspects, which is not in my top 100 anymore. Yeah. Chinatown. Great movie. LA Confidential. Great movie. Maltese Falcon. Double Indemnity. Godfather. Miller's Crossing, Touch of Evil, Third Man, M, 
Fargo, Pulp Fiction, Sunset Boulevard, Rear Window, Reservoir Dogs, Godfather Part 2, The Limey, The Killing, Witness for the Prosecution, Taxi Driver, Cape Fear, Seven, A Simple Plan, Out of Sight, The Pledge, Blade Runner. There are probably others that could fit this criteria. Yeah. Like, that was a long list Man, for I mean, 100 I had so movies. many I wanted to comment on, because okay. most of those are really, really good. Yeah. I'll say, this is not just me being contrarian, I, I do think Reservoir Dogs is a bit overrated. <laughs> yeah, oh, it's not in my top 100 anymore. Um, what else? Uh, seven, I didn't like, and now like. I've gone back and forth on Seven. I do own it now, and I'm happy that I do, and uh, got it for or, Christmas. You know what it is? I think Seven is a movie that is kind of what I was talking about before. I, I did like Seven the first time I saw it, because it is cool and yeah. hard-edged and gross and yeah. and stuff like that. It appealed to, to me. And then I kind of rightly realized that it's stupid. Yeah. And then I came back around and maybe this is in my being more of a, uh, a, taking more of a formalist approach and realizing that it's kind of okay that the movie is stupid from a story standpoint. Yeah. That's not really what it's about. I think that's the, one of the biggest revelations that I had uh, maybe about seven years ago, um, was the revelation that, uh, movies do a whole lot of other things other than just tell stories mm-hmm. and that, if I'm hanging on to is a movie, a good story, I'm blinding myself to yeah. a lot of things that could be great movies that aren't necessarily good stories. And so I really appreciate seven now. And honestly, part of it is probably colored by the fact that David Fincher, whom I wasn't a fan of for a long time yeah. um, until Zodiac uh, has gone on to make such great stuff that maybe I now within the context of understanding David Fincher, I can watch seven and see him in it more yeah, uh, or the so. him that I understand now more as opposed to what I thought was the him at the time of the, uh, empty stylist. Yeah. Um, and, and so I, I, uh, seven's a good watch now. Yeah. Um, as long so. as you don't think too much about, yeah, like there's the one that I always talk about that, like in order for them to find the starving guy yeah. exactly one year, like after he was kidnapped, John Doe has to hide a clue in the one murders, uh, uh, the, the one victim's office yeah. and then know that it won't be caught. The clue won't be caught until the second time yeah. they go. Yeah. <laughs> it's ridiculous. That's, that's a, that is a, a plan where it's just like, these cops are smart but not too smart. Um, they're more like a, they're more like a, they take a second pass at it kind of guys. Um, yeah. So, okay. Um, continuing. I'm, I'm excited that I actually did this like, not uh, like chronologically. So next up, and by the way, we should probably keep an eye yeah. towards rubbing up cause we have a hard out. We'll do. Um, oh shit. We do. Okay. I'm going to speed through this now. Yeah, I didn't, really I didn't realize the time. 10 minutes. 15 okay. The most. Uh, all right. So, uh, Age 16, I entered my America is awful phase uh, where, um, you know, just and that lasted until I was probably about 24 um, and where I just I love movies that like question the American dream and talk about like anti-corporate, anti-government, all that kind of thing. Um, And uh, so you get stuff like the insider and traffic and falling down. Falling down was a big one for that. Um, Ordinary people. American beauty was a big one for that. American history X. Taxi Driver, Manchurian Candidate, uh, Wag the Dog, which at least was had a comedic element to it. Mm-hmm. Um, then uh, that lasted until I was about 24. I can't really say what got me away from that. Um, 
honestly, at that point, I probably at 24 is when I started to recognize like eh, sincerity and earnest. is not terrible. Uh, I think I probably that's probably around that. If I had to guess, I'd say that's probably around the time that I started taking Capra seriously. Um, huh. Age 16 to 21, my melodrama is stupid phase. Uh, and as time has gone, and I don't have any examples for that because it was just a general thought of like melodrama, you know, sincerity, earnestness played up is dumb. It's overwrought. It's ridiculous. This idiotic view of mine, this phase that I was in that I'm so happy to be out of, it kept me from embracing Kurosawa because of the, the acting style. Uh-huh. Um, and and his time has gone on, and that ended. One of the things that ended it, I was age twenty one. I I fell in love, uh-huh. and I some, I come to realize like, oh, I get it, <laughs> I get it. Um, and that sounds super shitty. Well, it was it was a one no, two that punch of great. like it was a one two punch of like extreme grief, falling in love, like, and so it's like, all right, I. I I get all these emotions. The idea of like, you know, ripping your clothes off, uh, ripping your clothes apart and being like, Oh, why has this happened to me? Uh-huh. Or ripping your clothes off for other reasons. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> so, uh, and then here's one. It's so interesting. I'm, it's so interesting, uh, looking at these because, or thinking about this, cause there were phases. I don't think I realized that I had, but this is the first one I thought of. Okay. Which is the self-aware slash dramatic comedy. So one could say, Comedy that's not just straight up pure comedy. So it has to be self-aware or dram- or somehow dramatic comedy. That's the best comedy. Comedy that in some way, quote unquote, matters. Right. Or is, yeah, commenting on something or is sure. postmodern or something. Yeah, but I, th- I mean, I, part of me thinks that's kind of where comedy is now. Like, I think eh. the idea, uh, I'm saying this as much as a cinephile as I am as a comedy nerd, but yeah. like the idea of alt comedy doesn't really apply anymore because that stuff has become yeah. not entirely mainstream, but it's become a big part of the mainstream yeah. now. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Um, which is why, you know, why I'm actually excited to see the boss because I think Melissa McCarthy for the most part sidesteps that, um, I like spy. Like there's nothing of this in spy. It's just an action comedy. Right, yeah. You know? Yeah, it's it's circling back to sincerity now. I know, that'd be Uh, great. Now, it sounds like, uh, because we need to wrap up, um, it sounds like the difference between you and me is I feel like you had conscious, sorry, conscious preconceptions that you had to shed over time. Whereas... And then some I I put on after that, but yes. Um, Whereas I had subconscious maybe not preconceptions but i i had barriers up hmm. that i had to knock down over time so i kept uh, i i kept finding new i guess mental rooms in my cinephilia and saying oh i can fit this movie into here and and and, and uh, i can appreciate more movies for more reasons uh, over time um where whereas you were you were kind of aware, maybe aware of certain rooms in your brain, yes. but you had locked the door mm-hmm. on musicals or you know early westerns yeah. or whatever it is. And I didn't put it in here, but uh, horror. I was really cut off to horror. I really thought it was just like a trash genre for the most part. Oh, but horror. Yeah, I know now. I've come to like horror. I like horror more every day. I love horror, it more now yeah. than I ever have in my life. Because if you if you're going to separate movies into 
genres, which helps for certain conversations and hurts others. But if you're going to separate movies into, into genres, there may be no genre that is as cinematic, as filmic, as horror. Do you know what I mean? Hang on, hang on. Agreed. Okay. <laughs> That's why, I mean, to go back to uh, David Lynch and Lost Highway, like, um, Lost Highway is not a horror movie, mm. but there are parts of it that are incredibly scary and terrifying. You know, the part just when he's looking for his wife yeah. in the house and he walks in the hallway where the lights are off, like, that that makes my skin crawl as much as as the orphanage or, or the great horror movies of the last 10 years. I mean, sometimes great horror can just be, it's like, I am ill at ease <laughs> right. and that is let's Lynch all over. Yeah. Um, yeah. now here's the thing, David, we are now getting into college years and then there, there's only a couple categories. And then I wanted to s- switch to one last thing. Okay. Um, so these are things that you've witnessed. Okay. Early college. Everything Dave, is, pre- Oh, David what? is an idiot. <laughs> I'm not really out of that phase yet. Um, everything is pretentious slash a movie must know what it's saying. Huh? Well, yeah, cause I remember you did not like last year at Marion, Bad. you saw it before I did. That is and, on this list. And you did not like it as is Mulholland drive. You didn't like Mulholland drive as I, is Verkmeister. Yeah. You didn't even like, I, yeah. I forced you to come watch Verkmeister harmonies with me because it's new year's Eve. We have to celebrate, right? That was what well, dorks. We were don't we wrong. celebrated it's, new year's Eve by watching Verkmeister harmonies. It sounded at good. It sounded okay. good to me. Uh, and then when I saw it, I did, I wasn't expecting the movie that it was and I was exhausted. Yeah. So I think we had taken a flight that day. All oh, right. is that right? Maybe you had. No, I. that's what it was. I had driven the three hours to St. Louis, oh, and, and then, then you and I flew on New Year's Eve. So we were both very tired, and Verk Meister Harmonies, as much as I love it now, is not the film to watch when you're tired. Um, and the... The Cinematheque is at facets as much as I had, <laughs> I had revelatory experiences. There is essentially like a black box with wooden chairs. It's not yes. the most comfortable place to watch a movie. Yeah. Um, so that thankfully I moved away from that and just started thinking more in terms of like what film actually can be and how amazing it is. And now Mulholland drive last year, Marion Bod and especially Verkmeister Harmony is like, I have a great deal of affection for all of those. So then it moved into, you know, I, I it swung the other way. And in late college, experimental is better than straightforward. So movies like The Limey and North oh. Fork and now Verkmeister Harmonies. Um, uh, and there's only a f- those are only a few of them, but just the idea of like, why go conventional when you can go unconventional? And now I've moved away from that. That only well, do, you want to, do you want to know something? I might still be, not entirely, but I might still have that bias. Okay. That I'm, and maybe it's because as a semi-professional film critic, uh, um, <laughs> I see so much stuff now that just something being unconventional sure. is a welcome retreat from, sure. from the, from the conventional. And so I might be, I think that's, yeah, that's a phase that I have gone through and might, um, might still be in, um, where, uh, I will give, uh, disproportionate points to audacity. Yeah. Sure. Well, but that's, you know, and I'll give you that, but, and I, I guess I'm probably there as well because it's nice to see something new, something fresh, something risky, but that's different than what I'm talking about here. This is just like, you know, it's like, Hey man, come on. Like you've got the money, just do something <laughs> risky. Like take it, you know, it's, it, it has more to do okay, with, yeah. with like, it's like be edgy, like be artificially edgy, you know, as opposed to now it's just like, Hey, they're trying something great, but there yeah. are also movies that are artificially edgy 
I'm like, I have no patience that's, for you. That's the worst. Um, this is why, as much as I've come around on David Fincher, I still cannot get on board with Fight Club. I don't yeah. like that movie at all. And to my eternal credit, I didn't like it from the moment I saw it. So here is the last phase that I can think of. And then I'm going to move very briefly into what phase am I in now? Okay. And I only have two answers. I for think that I one. covered mine, right? Yeah, I think so. Um, I wish I had told you ahead of time that like I was going to ask that at the end. Um, so this is a phase that I was in from age 22, maybe 23 until a couple years ago. So this covers the podcast, by the way. Okay. Yeah. And that is that character and story don't matter. Now, here's the thing. Obviously, it mattered a great deal to me, but I hated myself. Right. Yes. Uh, and I'm, you know, you mentioned earlier, like your formalist phase. Oh, I hated myself so much when you were in that phase. Like when you were, when you were like, that was a big part of who you are. I'm like, yeah, so he's the real critic and I'm just, uh, I should just go review theater or something. <laughs> you know, like it really yeah. was tough. Because, but, oh, I think the, the nexus of my thinking of movies from a formalist standpoint is always, it can be traced back to public enemies, yeah. which I loved. And I don't think you liked very much. I did not because it seemed like it wasted an opportunity to do something with John Dillinger. Right. You know, and then as time has gone on, while I de- definitely recognize that movies aren't only about storytelling, they're not only about character. I've come to realize how vital character and story and acting can be in crafting a story and crafting mm-hmm. like this is something you and I talked about with American Hustle for you when you saw Bradley Cooper you're like this guy's performance is sort of dictating the tone of the film yeah um or or at the very least mirroring it um so that's yeah. something that I've kind of moved away from where actually I'm I'm in a place now where I'm sort of embracing that movie's a mess it is and I don't necessarily it, dislike a mess as yeah. we've talked about yeah with like things like Moulin Rouge but it's the wrong kind of mess. I think it's I think it's best when it's messy, and then when it cleans up too much at the end, that's when I have a problem with it. You know what I mean? I, I, I maybe I'd probably need to watch it again. It's a little bit too neat, which I end. probably won't. So here are the phases I'm in now. One, I think, came about because of more than one lesson, and the fact that I watch a lot of Christian films, and that is, I don't have everybody. Everybody is being snarky. I don't have the energy for it. And if you give, and if you are too snarky, especially to to artists and stuff, uh, they have no reason to listen to you because they'll just maybe rightfully assume that you're only doing this, you're only saying these things to make yourself sound better. Mm-hmm. So in talking about Christian film, I've had to try to take it seriously as a genre. And and the more I think about it as a genre, the more it fits the genre, the definition of genre, which is something I'm becoming increasingly fascinated by. I'll probably do an episode about it at some point. Um, but uh, and I hope this isn't a phase. I hope I never get out of it. Uh, humility, uh, which is just like this movie is bad, but let's let's see if there's any good in it. Focus on the good while calling out the bad. But at no point am I better than this. The filmmaker's better than this, and that's the, and that's where the issue is. Um, I find that I have humility, or I'm trying to have humility, not necessarily with thinking about the films themselves, but now that I am a semi-professional film critic, yeah, uh, comparing myself to other critics, sure. Like um, I think my this is a bad reaction, a bad instinct. Mm-hmm. But um, if I if someone likes a movie that I think is stupid, uh, my instinct is to make uh, generalizations about that critic hmm. and I try not to do that. Now I'm actively trying to see things from other people's points of view. And I think that is 
very helpful as a as a critic or as just as a film general film lover in general and probably a person is, yeah is to, <laughs> is to see but yeah i've definitely had that uh, uh that that sort of um knee jerk i've said knee jerk a billion times this episode by the way um but maybe that's what leads to us being in these phases yeah, is not, not considering uh, our reactions to things but i've had had that reaction of oh i guess he's one of those critics uh, because someone Ugh. likes or dislikes something and i'm trying not to do that now. if they fit my definition of what a standard internet critic is <laughs> it's just like i have no use for you that's a terrible thing to say yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and think so the la- the last thing and i think you'll appreciate this okay a phase that i'm in that i don't want to get out of i think this is an exciting phase for me female uh, female protagonist that's good uh, well like last year my favorite movie was brooklyn mm-hmm. year before babadook year before enough said movies i've loved over the last few years i love the meddler this year Black Swan, uh, Margaret, we need to talk about Kevin, Marthy, Mar- Martha, Marcy, May, Marlene, Entrance, Francis Ha, Blue Jasmine, Winter's Bone. Um, and a lot of these are also female filmmakers. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I li- yeah. and, and I like this. I like a new perspective. Well, this is, um, uh, that's great. Um, and I think it's something. That, and a variety of genres there too, by the um, way. I, I try to avoid the idiots on the internet, but I know um, some of the sites that I read will report on idiocy on the internet. Okay, there you go. Um, and, you know, uh, there are a lot of uh, people when the Rogue One trailer came out there. Yeah. There was a lot of this like, look, I got it with Force Awakens, but do we have to keep doing this female protagonist thing? Uh, and I find that so disappointing, that reaction, because as I understand the reaction, but yeah, I, who cares? It, well, it's more than that, because. As one of the great Roger Ebert quotes, which is uh, at the very beginning of Life Itself, which is, is uh, I'm paraphrasing, but movies are ma- movies are a machine to generate empathy. Mm-hmm. I mean, why not? If you're a male, you should be seeking out stories that are that don't speak to you because that's what yeah. movies can do. Movies can help you to see things from other people's points of view and to understand other people's life experiences and to uh, I want to see more movies with female protagonists with protagonists of color or queer protagonists or all of the, I, I want to see more and more of that because I think it helps me understand the world better. But that's it. I mean, what you're talking about is something that you and I, as some of the um, uh, you're talking about a philosophy we have. And when it comes right down to it, I'm trying to say this with all humility, uh-huh. Westerns are dumb. Um, <laughs> that, uh, you know, some people don't even, ha- some people probably don't even have a philosophy of movie going. It's simply, I want to go and enjoy myself. And often the, like, I want to go for escapism and sometimes but escapism is like, I want to see someone who's like me doing things I can't do. And if it's, and if it's like a male yeah. movie, but that goer, is a philosophy. It might be unconscious. It's a, unconscious, what I but mean. it is a philosophy. Yeah. And that's too bad. Um, Listeners, so it's a good thing f- we went through all these phases, so that now we're better than everybody else. Oh yeah, the critics I look down on the most are the ones that are often in the phases I used to be in. Uh-huh. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, comment with your with your phases or what you think about what we said here. Um, if you think if you want to defend, I don't know, Reservoir Dogs or whatever. Or if you want to uh, badmouth free speech, yeah, you are you are speech. free to do that. Or maybe we'll just delete your comment. Yeah, we what can do you delete that? your comment. Yeah. that is within our rights. Yeah, take that fuck stick. <laughs> 
<laughs> you can find us at battleship You can email us at David at battleship and or Tyler at battleship You can follow me, David on Twitter at Davey pretension. You can follow Tyler at Tyler pretension. Uh, we're recording way in advance. Do you know what's going on at more than one? Lesson? I have no idea. Okay. Same here. My other podcast is called, Hey, watch this with Paul and David. It's about television, but I don't know what we're talking about next week. Um, so, uh, that's that. Um, thanks. Uh, uh thanks for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye. Bye. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet. Hello and well, what? What did you just do? Okay, I meant to open this before you started because I didn't want that sound on the podcast. Okay. All right, go ahead.